Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Well, hi, and thank you so much for joining me today for another episode of Study, Grow, Know. This one is going to be delving into the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah opens with God getting right to the heart of the problem. It's, he, there's no real introductions for this book. It just gets right into it. And of course, it's concerning the nation of Israel. The book begins with a vision seen by the prophet Isaiah where God points out the grievous sin of the nation of Israel and how he, God, likens Israel to Sodom. God depicts Israel's sins one after the other. He is rightfully angry with Israel's continued willful disobedience. And this is the nation that God, quote, reared and brought up, Isaiah 1-2. And yet God continues to want Israel to be willing to reason together, Isaiah 1-18. God chastises Israel in the verses following calling Israel out for her whoring and cheating and warning that things will worsen and judgment will come if Israel does not heed the message of God's prophets. Israel's rulers and leaders, religious leaders, love to accept bribes, willingly cheated innocent people for their own betterment. The entire system within Israel was one of self-aggrandizement and God had had enough. Now, Isaiah chapter 2 opens in, it goes into detail regarding what will happen in the last days. And those days, of course, are still in front of us from 2022 here, but it seems like we're leading right up to it. There will be a major geographical change in parts of Israel and the Middle East when the Lord physically returns at the end of the tribulation period to the Mount of Olives. And uh, then the millennial rule can start all over the earth with Jesus as king, ruler. And then at that point, the mountain of the Lord will become the tallest area there and nations will stream to it, Isaiah 2.2. Now, Isaiah 2.6 and verses following highlights the day of the Lord, which is when God will judge the nations. You can see also Matthew 25. It's really terrifying when you look at the description of what's happening for those who do not know him at his return. And Isaiah 3, chapters 3, 4, and 5 highlight in detail the judgments that follow his return. Isaiah 6 then points out Isaiah's commission as given by God. Can you imagine? You've seen the judgment, mayhem, and destruction that God is going to bring and allow to fall on Israel and, of course, the whole world. And now you receive a commission to witness to the people of Israel. Well, Isaiah 6 opens with Isaiah seeing a vision of God, quote, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. That's Isaiah 6, 1 to 2. And imagine seeing that vision, the reality of God's glory. Isaiah is so moved by this sight, and, and who among us would not be, that he realizes that he is, quote, a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord 
Almighty, Isaiah 6, 5. Well, compared to God's holiness, Isaiah was indeed a sinner. And at that point, he grasped that reality. And in verse 6, one of the seraphim takes a live coal and touches Isaiah's mouth with it, declaring him clean with his sins pardoned. His guilt is gone, his sins atoned for, and of course, this in turn makes Isaiah want to serve God that much more. I mean, when when God asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Verse 8, Isaiah is quick to respond with, here am I, send me. But notice that God then tells Isaiah not only what he's going to say to the Israelites, but that Israel will not hear turn or believe the message that Isaiah will present, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Isaiah asks, well, how long should he do these things? How long should he tell them? And God responds in verses 11 through 13, quote, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent Everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And through a tenth, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Unquote. Wow. Imagine given that commission. There's no real upside here except for the fact that a remnant or stump will remain. God will not fully uproot everything, allowing a stump, the holy seed, to remain, signifying a few in Israel will eventually return. The holy seed will remain, but the generation of Israelites during Isaiah's day, they will be destroyed and scattered, and the cities throughout Israel will lie in ruins uninhabited. So in this case, then, the prophet Isaiah's job was to warn Israel though they would not heed those warnings. I can't imagine a more tiring, frustrating, or unpleasant form of ministry. The warnings given by Isaiah were issued to Israel so that they were without excuse. They could never say to God, well, no one told us. They were told repeatedly, and yet in spite of the truth presented, they continued to disregard God and his truth. Folks, this is what's happening today throughout the world. People have deliberately chosen to continually and consistently disregard God's truth in exchange for Satan's truth, which are lies. We actually have people today, some even within Christendom, who say, well, they don't know what the definition of a woman is now, and we need to be careful about our biases. We need to be sensitive Moreover, we've got wealthy globalists appear who appear to be directing world affairs behind the scenes through many governments throughout the world. Within the past couple of years, people like Klaus Schwab have become household names, whereas before that they were known only within so-called conspiracy theory circles. This in and of itself is remarkable because it tells us a number of things. First, these globalists believe they've gone past the point of no return where any rebellion by people in the world will be eventually and possibly easily put down. Second, Satan, who works through these globalists, 
knows his time is drawing very short and he needs to act quickly by ramping up pressure on global society. We are watching right now countries fall and implode, Sri Lanka, Italy, and others. Now, in our day, it is very clear that Satan is at work through human agents, just as he was through Judas during Jesus's day. These these human agents today have gained their fortunes from their obedience to Satan. Now, whether they actually worship Satan or not is not really known to us. They could be completely being bamboozled and used by him uh, and deceived. That's certainly very possible. But from what I've read about many of the so-called elite, they worship Lucifer, light bearer, not Satan, because they see him as the guy who wanted to help humanity in the Garden of Eden, unlike God, whom they believe wants to keep secrets from us. This was evidenced in the opening pages of Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky, who high-fived Satan for being the type of individual who stood up to God. He did that in his foreword or introduction. So with all the rebellion, mocking of God and his truth, growing persecution against those who actually agree with God's biblical standards, and the increasing problem of reprobate minds throughout global society, is it any wonder that people today, by and large, are incapable of using critical thinking to determine truth and reality? I mean, this is the result of them having developed reprobate minds over time. And I've talked about this problem that Paul addresses in Romans 1 before. We are seeing increasing problems throughout society from people who appear to lack any common sense at all, honor or actual intelligence. Instead, for instance, we have transgenders in positions of leadership in the federal government, and we are expected to celebrate that along with Oh, I don't know, a woman's right to kill her unborn child. The same thing, the same types of things that infected society during Isaiah's day, where up was down, wrong was right, has affected the world today. Why do we believe the world will escape God's judgment? Um, Pastor John Haller, and I've included a link to his late, one of his latest videos on prophecy updates in the transcript, has more information on this. He kind of breaks it down even more. Um, So you might want to watch that. So at one point, God specifically states to Isaiah the following in Isaiah 8 through 12. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. God warned Isaiah not to fear the enemy as it conspired. That's where the word conspiracy come from, where they conspired against Judah. Instead, Isaiah should focus solely on the Lord through his thinking. See also Matthew 10, 28. Now, too many Christians today fear way too many things. If they're not fearing CV, they're fearing monkeypox, the BA.5 uh, variant, potential food shortages, and much more. When in point of fact, we should be trusting the Lord to guide us through all of it. So if we die, we die. And we will be, let me remind all of us, far better off because of it if we are in Christ and we will see him and be where he is. So won't we be better off? Now, yes, take precautions in this life, but the overwhelming fear within society is doing no good at all. If you are alive today and did not get the CV jab, 
you lived through CV and the resultant shutdowns, mask, and social distancing mandates. It's doubtful, I think, that much of the world is going to willingly fall in line again to do those same things because of fear. Globalists may continue to push the fear, though. Well, they're, no, they're going to push the fear. We were told CV would kill millions, and it didn't. Then we were told that avian flu would be the next big one. And it's come and gone, though it forced many chicken and turkey farmers to destroy their flocks, numbering into the millions throughout the world. So we have those fewer birds who can't lay eggs anymore. They're not meat on the table. They're just gone. Now monkeypox is here. And it comes with dire predictions. Are you giving into the fear yet? I sure hope not. Trust the Lord. Now, it seems clear to me, and many others, by the way, that all of what has happened for the past two to three years has caused great harm to world economies and the health of many, many, many people. The supply chain, for instance, was thoroughly disrupted and has never gotten caught up. Now, with continuing and growing crop shortages throughout the world stemming from any number of reasons, lack of fertilizers and fuels, as well as either a lack of rain or major flooding, depending on the area of the world, we are being told or warned that the fall of 2022 and into 2023, there will be dire consequences regarding the food chain, and we are destined to see major food shortages. Well, some folks have a difficult time believing this scenario. I'm not sure why. They think that what they're seeing in grocery stores and elsewhere and hearing about, they're temporary and soon things will get back to normal. Well, I think it's safe to say that what is coming is probably not going to be good and it is certainly not going to take us back to any previous normal that we've experienced. Now, I take this viewpoint because the Bible clearly shows me that every time things built up to the point where God had no recourse but to judge the entire world, first with Noah's uh, ark, Noah's flood, and then with other nations after that, things were really bad then. And it all usually stemmed from the fact that people did not want to even think of God, much less worship him. Moreover, they wanted to have no part of his morality, preferring to do things their way. They wanted to be freed from the quote unquote chains of God's moral code. That has been one thing that has been continual throughout the history of humanity to the present day. Psalm 2. Now, this happened to Israel during Isaiah's day. And what I find fascinating is that Isaiah chose to volunteer for the task of warning God's people. He even learned that his ministry would continue until the land was desolate and everyone had been scattered or killed. Who would want that ministry? But look, it's the same type of ministry that Christians have this very day. It really is. Honestly, we are tasked with preaching to people about their need for Jesus who aren't interested in hearing it. We are the voices of believers who stand in the gap between this life and God's judgment for people who do not yet know him. Now, it would be nice, as some like to think, that there will be a major revival and the world will turn to Christ in repentance and faith. It's going to wash over this world and change the face of it. I've been hearing about that since I was involved in the charismatic movement in the 70s. It just hasn't happened. I don't think it will. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's not slated to happen. 
Instead, what is slated to occur is increasingly difficult times as the world moves fast and furiously toward God's judgment of the tribulation. There is no way that his judgment can be avoided. None. It's a nice sentiment to believe that God will pour out his spirit throughout the world and many within this world will see, repent, and believe. Unfortunately, too often, God needs to judge regimes, people, nations, and empires because of their wanton and continued disregard for him. Understand that this world continues to march to Satan's drumbeat. He's the world's Pied Piper, and he's leading us towards judgment, not revival, as he continues his efforts toward overthrowing God. Satan wants this showdown. He is working toward it. And I also believe that ultimately there will be revival of a sort, but it won't happen until some point during the coming tribulation where multitudes will see the truth, repent and believe. That's that's clear. However, the Bible says rather than changing the whole world because of that, here's what's going to happen. Many to most of these people will be martyred for their faith. Read Revelation 7. Why? Because Satan will still control much of the world even during the tribulation because God allows him to as God pours out his wrath upon humanity and this world. Yet in spite of the fact that there will likely not be major worldwide repentance prior to the tribulation that would avert God's judgment, our job as Christians is the same as Isaiah's or Ezekiel's, and that is to tell the lost of their need for Jesus. And we are to do this whether they listen or not, because we have no control over what they do with our message. God opens eyes or he doesn't. So we need to tell them whether they listen or not, just like Isaiah did. Are you in or are you out? You've got to decide. Thanks so much for joining me today. And I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical conservative perspective. 